turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter number 1. <coughs> Excuse me, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse number 6. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse number 6. And ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost, so that ye were in samples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to God word is spread abroad, so that we need not to speak anything. Title of the message tonight is Learning from Their Successes. Um, last Sunday evening, uh, before the missions conference, well not last Sunday, it was a Sunday evening before last, we uh, tackled the passage in Acts chapter 1 that dealt with the early church's blunder of appointing an apostle to replace Judas, and that was wrong, and we looked at that message that was entitled, Learning from Their Mistakes. We kind of looked at that, and that passage of scripture, what took place there. Now we're going to be learning from that early church's successes. So let's uh, stop here, ask the Lord's blessings, and we'll get into the message. Lord, thank you so much for your word. I pray that tonight we would be able to put our mind to your word, Lord, to gain some things, to learn some things, but then also to apply them where they fit and where you would like to speak to us tonight. Lord, there's not a service that we gather together where you don't want to speak, where you don't want to teach and lead and guide your people. So, Lord, I pray that you help us put everything else off the the. the uh, uh, program right now. Let's uh, enable us, Lord, to uh, focus in upon your word and have you to speak to us through your word. Lord, we pray that you would take and use your word to instruct us, to guide us, to lead us, give, give us of your will and of your good pleasure tonight. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> the message that was entitled uh, Learning from Their Mistakes was taken from Acts chapter 1. That first chapter, verse number 26 says, And they gave forth their lots, and the lot fell upon Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. And you know that whole story, uh, the, the, the message that we preached about that. Uh, I dare say that you probably have not heard a message about that particular passage where they, the, the church acted, but it wasn't, wasn't correct. It was off. It was, it was wrong, and God later corrected things. And so what we did was looked at, and we stated that uh, that was a super interesting passage because we have the luxury of hindsight, seeing clearly that Paul was not um, uh, their choice. It was heaven's choice to have the Apostle Paul for that spot, as Paul affirmed throughout his life and his ministry, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 8. And last of all, Paul says, He was seen, Jesus was seen of me also as one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles, but he was an apostle. That I'm not to meet to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. He says, I was the last one upon God's plan, God's program to, to induct me into the apostleship. There's 12 apostles and only 12. And he was the last one. And so we saw that was God's will. It was God's will for the early church to, to uh, have the apostle Paul, not Matthias. Who you, you not heard again after They've appointed him in Acts chapter 1. But God clearly didn't disparage the, that early church for their steps that they had taken. It was a misstep, if you will, but not necessarily a sin. 
They were searching for God's will. They missed it. They, they uh, missed the mark. It was a misdirection, but it was not an obstinate failure to obey. They were trying to do what God wanted them to do. It was the nature of this mistake that we learned from. You remember that message, just to kind of cover the, the, the sticking points of that sermon's thoughts. The, uh, they were accountable to the scripture. That early church attempted to be accountable to the Bible that they may have misunderstood Psalm 109, verse number 8, Let his days be few, let another take his office. They tried with all of their might, with all of their intellect, to actually perform what it was that the, the prophecy about Judas was. And it says, let somebody else take his office. So they, they attempted. It was a good effort. No foul. It was an attempt at obeying an obscure passage of the Bible. And then you remember, on that point, we cleared off the spot and emphasized the simple things in the Bible that we should be accountable to, all the things that we know God commands through his simple commands and simple words. We're accountable to the cl clear commands of God, whatever they be. And there are many of those. We kind of just went over a few of them. Hey, if God says this, do it. We, know, we understand that. There are some things that we don't really understand, and they were trying to understand God's word there, the Old Testament prophecy, and they, they just missed it. But they were accountable. They were trying to be accountable to God's word. So that was in their favor. Uh, one thing that was not in their favor was their divine limitations. You remember when they presented this to God? A mistake was in limiting God by their pr proposition. Acts 1.23 says, And they appointed two. Joseph called Barsabas, who was surnamed Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, uh, Thou Lord, which knowest the hearts of all men, show whether of these two thou hast chosen. So God, between the choice of these two, what is your will? Well, God's will wasn't either of them. They were kind of limiting God in that way. So we, we can understand it. We, we saw that. What if it's not God's choice to have either one of those, which it wasn't? And we emphasize the takeaway point, don't limit God. He has surprised me before, and he'll probably surprise you over and over and over again that you think you know what God wants, but hey, we can't limit him and expect him to work in our you know, uh, uh, time frame or our... Uh, uh, limitations. So they put on divine limitations and we saw that that wasn't good. But there was no discipline. We ended up the, the message looking at that particular passage and their actions. God didn't discipline that church. God wasn't displeased. Uh, he was going to be getting his will accomplished later. They just didn't know. They tried. They did the best that they could. But God didn't chastise the early church in any way. We said that that the early church didn't justify a woodshed experience for their misguided effort. Their, their heart was in the right place. <clears throat> okay, now, later on, in Acts chapter number 8, there was a sharp woodshed experience to the believers who were commanded to scatter everywhere, but who were content in Acts chapter 5, Acts chapter 6, to enjoy a glowing Christian fellowship. I mean, the church was growing, they had peace, I mean... Uh, God was blessing the church over and over and over and just hand over fist blessing of, the, of the, that new, those new believers. And then hits Acts chapter 8, verse number 1. And Saul was consenting unto his death, and at that time there was great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. Now, persecution is not always uh, chastisement. <clears throat> God will use persecution or difficulties or troubles in our lives to, to get us to, to do something or go someplace or, or whatever. 
not always, but here, a lot of earmarks that God was trying to get a hold of their attention. I mean, they were being blessed, and they were just growing, and they were just having a great time of, of, of harmony and growth and whatever. And it says, so God sent great persecution, and they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. So God's going to get his will accomplished from his children one way or another, and they needed the whip to do that. <coughs> now, pointing to this blatant disobedience that the church committed is not the whole story. Because it's very easy for us to kind of uh, play the armchair quarterback and to say, well, that's what they did wrong and that's what they did wrong. You know, it's easy for us to say that from our perspective or whatever. And, and we could do that and you could do that. You know, there are many people that have the gift of criticism. <laughs> I had a guy do that once, came to me years and years ago, and uh, he said, Pastor, God has given me the gift of criticism. I can see everything wrong that you're doing or everything wrong that, the, that we're doing here, everything wrong. I, I, God's given me the gift of criticism. No, I don't think so, folks. I think God will give you the, the gift of sour pussness, but, you know, that's not, that's not a gift, you know. But it's, it's very easy for us to kind of point things out. And, and I'm, I'm, in a sense, I'm pointing out the, the early church's failure of not following what God said, which is go to all the world, but they stayed there. And so God sent persecution, and, uh, and then they uh, you know, were scattered, and then finally obeyed what God originally told them to do. Pointing to this blatant disobedience, I said, that the early church committed, it's not the whole story. They ended up with, that early church ended up turning the world upside down. We started with a verse that we'll go back to and take a look at, at what they did here and there and how the, the gospel then was scattered everywhere. And that we looked at in Thessalonica. But in Acts chapter 17, verse number 6, it says, this is what they said about these disciples and about that early church that spread and spread after this persecution. These that have turned the world upside down are come hither also. Wow. Bravo. They did a good job. Man, they, they accomplished it. Now, whatever they were at the first, whether listening or not listening, here they were listening, here they were doing, here they were applying. With certain glowing success stories, we need to note that although having to go through chastening of sorts, they finally did follow. They finally did get in, in gear. And not downtrodden with hanging hands. No, no, they wholeheartedly jumped into the task Obeying the spirit and the letter of the command as seen in, in our text, First Thessalonians chapter 1, verse number 6. Let's look at it again. He says, And ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much, much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost. Hey, the affliction was the persecution that God sent. The spanking, the chastening, the, the, the getting their attention, shaking them up. And they weren't. Oh, no, God's getting me. Oh, no, you know, all the persecution, look at the chastening. No, no, they didn't have that attitude at all. No, what does the Bible say? The next two words, with joy. Man, God did shake them up and they did go through trouble, but with, with joy of the Holy Ghost, they became followers. So that they were in samples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. For from you, he says, sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to God word is spread abroad so that we need not to speak anything. Wow! What a church! What a witness! 
Man, they're doing their job. Their publication of the truth went everywhere. That's what it says. To every place. Yes, in every place. So that Paul's job of preaching the word was aided. It was supplemented. And even not needed in some places. That's what he says. At least not needed as much as other places that were sorely needed so that they could attempt reaching the regions beyond. He says, so that your faith is here so that we need not to speak anything there because you've, you've done a good job. You're following the, the commands. So we learned from the church's mistakes, you know, the, those mistakes that were minor when they were trying to follow the Lord, they were off and all. They, were, they misunderstood the, the, the scripture, and they were easily correctable or corrected in, in that first uh, sermon about Acts chapter 1. Well, now, how about the successes of obeying the commander's orders? You remember what God told that first church, Acts 1.8? But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in Judea, and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. The uttermost part of the earth. Matthew 28, verse number 18, saying the same thing. This is the, our commander, the Lord Jesus Christ, giving orders to his church. We call this the Great Commission. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. He says in the beginning of that, um, go therefore and teach all nations. Note that. Go everywhere. This is, this is a command to bring the gospel to the world. To be scattered abroad, how about? Yeah, he says go everywhere. Mark 16, 15. And he said unto them, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Luke 24, 47, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, not just here, not just with the Jews, but among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And ye are witnesses of these things. And boy, did they ever get, get a hold of that, and they became witnesses. And they were good witnesses. They did that with vigor. Christianity grew, and it spread more under intense persecution than in the relative peace and safety that they had to begin with. Before real persecution, they had their hands slapped, so to speak. I mean, in comparison with real persecution, uh, at the beginning, they were just chastened of the community and of, of the government, of the Jews, but they continued to teach and to preach. Acts chapter 4, verse number 33, it says, And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Neither was there any among them that lacked. For as many as were, had, were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the prices of the things that were sold and laid them down at the apostles' feet and distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. They got great grace. They had peace. They had prosperity. Their needs were met from each other and the Lord was blessing. Hey, it was really good. Acts chapter 5, verse number 40. And to him they agreed, and when they had called the apostles and beaten them, this is, this is the extent of the persecution back then, 
They weren't killing anybody yet. They had beaten them. They commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. And they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And daily in the temple and in every house, they ceased not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. How about that? In chapter 6, they were growing so well that there were special problems in the logistics of their growth. Remember the reason for the appointment of deacons in, uh, in Acts chapter 6. Their widows were neglected, the Bible says, in the daily ministration. Maybe their Tuesday morning coffee clutches were hindered. Because, they, I mean, they were growing. They had so many things. They had so many ministries going. And it was, man, that was just, that was special needs to a church that was, that was busting out at the seams. The parking lots needed striping. The Christian chess clubs were needing leadership, if the, so to speak. The Mom's Day Out ministry spurred some discontent because nurse, nursery workers weren't appreciated as they should be or whatever. Their potlucks needed cleanup crews to keep down the rat infestation of the fellowship halls. Far-fetched? No, that's exact. The first deacon's duties were waiters. They served tables. Because the, the church was growing so big, when they had a potluck, when they came together for a meal, they needed waiters, they needed servants, and special problems. I mean, good problems, all good problems for growth. Problems, yes, but were these real problems? Well, of course they're real problems. Go ahead and ignore a rat problem. You'll be sorry. <laughs> I hate rats. I just hate rats. Go ahead and ignore the fact that we need a bathroom extension over here in this building. I don't even want to talk about it <laughs> if, we, if we don't address that. We have to. I mean, as we grow, we've got to. See, listen, folks, all their problems were connected to the massive growth that they were experiencing. Now, if you look at the trajectory of that first church's growth, it's amazing. I mean, God had blessed them. They took a headcount in the, in the start, Acts chapter 1, verse 15, and in those days... Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples and said the number of the names together were about 120. Less than what we have on a normal Sunday here. It was just a small church. Just after three years of, of Jesus' effort and preaching to the multitudes, there were 120 that were, that were serious enough to follow in, in significant terms. But there were 120. And that was everybody. That was everybody in that upper room. So they started out, Acts chapter 1, at 120. Acts 2, verse 41. Then they that gladly received his word, this was on the day of Pentecost, they were baptized, and the same day they were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Wow, that's traumatic enough to have a growth from 120 to over 3,000 souls overnight. Can you even think about what that would mean as far as logistical problems that they would have? Addition was then applied, Acts 2.47, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church, this is the 3,120 souls, they added, the Lord added to the church daily as such should be saved. Every day there was more coming on. Every day there was more getting saved. Wow, how about that? That's pretty good. I think that's that pretty good. They'd be, uh, you know, front page on the Baptist Times or whatever. Look at the growth of this church. It was just amazing. That was, that was unbelievable. If, if they were uh, growing from that point daily, uh, then you could say there may maybe about 4,000 that were attending that church right at the beginning. 
Acts chapter 4, verse number 4. <coughs> Howbeit many of them which heard the word believed. And the number of the men was about 5,000. In that time, 5,000 men coming on board. That means 9,000 men alone. If you were to count everybody in that 5,000, maybe the, the point here, they might have been 12,000 strong, 15,000 strong. Goodness. That God added to it, added to them, and added to them, and added to them. And then the additions turned to multiplications in Acts 5, verse number 14. And believers were the more added to the Lord. Multitudes. It, it stops counting. And now we're multiplying the numbers of this 15,000 or so. I mean, it, gets, it starts to, to exponentially grow. Multitudes, both of men and women. It would be a conservative... Uh, position to say that they were probably upwards of 30,000 people at this point. Wow. Great. That good? I mean, anybody that, that has any attitude about the Lord's work, they have to look at that and they say, wonderful. That is tremendous. The question, though, is, are they obeying? How can you, preacher, how can you see anything wrong with that? 30,000 plus on this church that's growing with like leaps and bounds. Maybe this next passage might give it away. Listen to the one word giveaway in Acts chapter 6, verse number 7. Listen and see if you can determine what is the problem that we see here. And the word of God increased and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. And a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. Again, another great verse. What's the problem in that verse? What do we see wrong that is not being obeyed that God's specific commands? I'll, I'll read it again. And the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. What's the one word? Jerusalem. 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 Sharp people. You're not sleeping yet. <laughs> Folks, I'm not trying to get through a message, you know. Get through it. You just get, you know. Yeah, you know. We, you know, what I like to do? I like to come to church and I like to get into the Word of God, see what it says. Whatever it says, let's tear into it. Let's take it apart. Let's see where it applies. Okay, this is a Bible church. Let's do that. So anyway, um, you're right. Jerusalem, in Jerusalem, that's the word. Gives it away. Wait, they're growing like that only at home base? That's what it says. The temple was in Jerusalem. The every house reference was a reference to every house around Jerusalem. The reference was only to one church, one church. That's why the church to this point was always referred to as merely the church. Sometimes somebody that has, a, 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 you know, they put on their universal church glasses and they look at up until Acts chapter number 6, it's always the church. It's the church. So, you know, we're all part of the church. You get saved, you're part of the church. Not so. That's, that's, that's a, a misnomer. You don't understand the word church and what it means. It's, it's a called out assembly gathered together. That's a church. It's always local. It's always visible. It's always one place. Always has a pastor. Always uh, follows the, uh, uh, obeys the, 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 uh, commands of, of the ordinances, uh, gives money, sacrifices. That is a church. And that's what Jesus said. He was, going, he was calling out from the world 
uh, those that would follow him, that would be baptized, would be joined together, and that's church. But up until Acts chapter 6, it was always just the church. I mean, because you know why? There was only one church. It was the church that Jesus started. And that's proper. It's proper to refer to the church as the church. It was only after Acts chapter 8 that the church or churches were then identified by their location because they began to, be, uh, to uh, uh, obey the commands of Christ, to scatter, to reproduce themselves everywhere. Acts chapter 1, verse number, uh, Acts chapter 8, verse number 1, let's look at that. And Saul was consenting unto his death, and at that time there was great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they could say at that point, the church, period. That's up until Acts chapter 8, verse number 1, it was always the church, only one, and that was at Jerusalem. Before the obedience, before the explosion of what took place after this point. It says, And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And now, it's like trying to put out a, a fire, if it's an oil fire, a gas fire, with water. You can't do that. If you try to stamp it out with, with water, it'll, it'll make it spread. Because it's, it's not burning wood that would be put out with water or whatever. No, no. Uh, oil would always go to the top. And so it's always going to be, you put water on it, it's just going to scatter it. And it's going to have the, the flame go everywhere. That's what happened. Persecution hit. And they were scattered everywhere. And all of a sudden, they were preaching the gospel everywhere. And they were, they were following the commands of, of Christ everywhere. Acts chapter 9, verse number 30. Which when the brethren knew, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him forth to Tarsus. Then had the churches, first time it's listed that way, churches. There are multitude churches, not, not, not any longer just only one church, the church that Jesus started in Jerusalem. No, no, now it's churches had rest throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria. And they're, they're listed, the churches, there were churches here, a church here, a church here, and there were churches. <clears throat> And they were walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost. They were multiplied. Man, these churches then were doing what they were supposed to do. They were multiplying, doing the same thing that they were doing in Jerusalem. Now in, in every place, they were multiplied. 1 Corinthians 16.1 Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given order to the churches of Galatia. No longer the church. Well, what church are you talking about? Because it's the church here or the church there or the church there. Now, now it's talking about the churches of Galatia. Even so do ye. Acts 15, 41. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, confirming the churches. What churches? Well, the church that was in Syria. The church that was in Cilicia. The church that was here. There are multitude churches. Acts uh, 16, verse number 5. And so were the churches established in the faith and increased in number daily. So it was now that they obeyed the commission of their commander to go into all the world, and that's what God said in the first place. You remember what Jesus uh, uh, instructed them to do in Acts chapter 1, verse number 8. He shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem. He did, uh, yeah, it was first in Jerusalem, but he says simultaneously. While you're doing this in Jerusalem, also here, also there. And that's how we, we get, we, we're connected with missions. Isn't that really cool how the Lord set that up? We could be involved in worldwide missions both here in Woodenville or, or Bothell, this area, and to the rest of Washington, to the rest of the United States, to the rest of the world. <coughs> and that's what his instructions were. Witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. That's what the instruction was. 
Matthew 28, 19, remember, go ye therefore and teach all nations. Mark 16, 15, go ye into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. Their addition was good. Certainly was wonderful. You know those first chapters of the book of Acts? Man, that was, that was tremendous. But the commander's plan was for them to tackle the world by multiplication, not addition. And note that the New Testament church is the tool to reach the world, not just making disciples, but to establish churches. Any good missionary knows that. Sometimes we have missionaries that come by that are good, they're solid, and some that maybe are not that solid. And I tell you how you could tell is, what is their relationship to the two? How do they understand the, the New Testament church? If they understand the church right, then they're going to be connected to reaching the world through the, the tool that God has given us, and that's the, his New Testament church. And by the way, we're, we're going to put, to, uh, put out a roster, uh, roster to aid Emerald City Baptist Church real soon. Um, uh, we're going to be door knocking for them. They're, 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 uh, first, what did it call that? First Sunday, not first Sunday. Um, the what? Launch date. Yeah. There's a, there's a soft launch and then there's a hard launch and there's going to be their opening. Yeah. Opening Sunday is, is just coming around the corner. And so we want to help them. And this is, this is just, uh, in West Seattle, not too far from here. Um, that's the, our next joint endeavor to establish another church. Hey, get with it. Uh, we're going to put out a roster, just like we did with, uh, with uh, uh, Foundation Baptist Church, just like we did with Bellevue, just like we did with other churches, to put your name on a list and say, I'm going to take my body and my family and whatever, and I'm going to breathe the air in that church. I'm going to warm the pew in that church. I'm going to help them usher. I'm going to help them sing a song. I'm going to help them pray or just be there. Hey, you, you want to you sign up. We're going we're to have that uh, uh, roster where you can, I would like to have at least um, twice a, a, a month to have one of our families or individuals there in that church. And I want everybody to, to jump on board with that. You know, go ahead and, and sign up because uh, you'll gain a new and a vibrant understanding of what we're supposed to be doing, what missions is all about. We are commanded to. Anyway, getting back to the point of our study, we learn from the early church's mistakes, what they did wrong, you know, a couple of weeks ago, they're learning from their mistakes. And tonight, we want to learn from this church's success. What can we learn from this church's success? Because once they did do what they did, man, they turned the world upside down. So, what can we learn from their success? Pay attention, folks. This is not just theological. This is where I live. This is where you live. Number one. Chastening is acceptable. Chastening is okay. It's a matter of fact, it's necessary. Everybody gets chastened. That early church, I believe, Acts chapter 1 came along because they were doing what they were doing and God was saying, uh, excuse me, I have a will here. I have something for you to do and you're not listening. And so he had to shake them up. Chastening is acceptable. There's no shame in that. That's the only way we learn. It's not a, a, a proven, foregone conclusion that persecution came about because of disobedience. We don't really know that. I mean, that's not stated. I mean, that's my position. That's what I'm saying here. But it, it sure looks that way, doesn't it? There was no spreading. There was no reaching beyond. No going to the uttermost parts of the world until 
God sent persecution. It was always in Jerusalem, in Jerusalem, in Jerusalem, growing. They were doing great. They were, they were multiplying. Hey, a lot of people getting saved. Wonderful. We said wonderful. But it was all right there. And, and God said, wait a minute. What is my will for you? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, uttermost parts of the world. What are you doing? You're staying there. You're, you're coffee and cake in it. You're having a wonderful time. And it's good. But you know what? That's not my will. There was no spreading until persecution. And then... Okay, okay, okay. We're going. Lord, we're going. <laughs> I think they just forgot. I don't know why they did that, you know, until Acts chapter 8, but they did their own idea. They were busy with their own form of ministry. Rather than God's will, God's agenda, they did what they thought best. We can all make those mistakes. All of us, me included, we are susceptible. We're human, just like they were. Pay attention. They were doing what they wanted rather than what God wanted. <coughs> what I want to get across here is it's okay to be chastened. Folks, it's okay to be chastened. There's something bad wrong with the spirit and attitude that wants to separate ourselves from divine discipline admittance that we all go there from time to time. Every one of us, we get chastened. Every one of us, we're off the beaten path sometimes. N nobody's perfect. I understand that. That's why we all need 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just. You know that, that verse. Why does it say that? Because if we sin, we have an advocate and we confess our sins. And that's important for us to understand that. It's the sinless perfection birds that I have such a problem with. Liars, <laughs> give me this sinless perfection. Yeah, I've not sinned for 15 years. Liar, get out of here. It's like I don't, I don't quit sinning more than 15 seconds, let alone 15 years. You liar, you're lying right there. That's a sin, you know. It's a, I don't understand that. I really don't understand that. How a person could say that, oh, yeah, I'm beyond sin. I'm, I'm above that. That's, that's, don't give me that junk. Unless you're some super spiritual creature, we all face discipline. But that's how, folks, that's how we learn. That's how we grow. That's how we develop and mature. Hebrews 12, verse number 5. What a great passage of scripture. And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children, my son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. You know what? You know why he says. Don't despise it because we have the tendency to despise it. I hate being chastened. I hate getting a limelight on me. I hate going to the woodshed. I hate that. And you know, I've seen that before with children that want to never be wrong. They want to always avoid being wrong, and the only way to never be wrong is to lie about being wrong. You know, when, when I have to get on some, somebody... I'd rather have them say, you know, preacher, I'm sorry. That's, that's right. I, I did wrong. I, I shouldn't have done that. I'll do better next time. Amen. Wonderful. Rather than, rather than ignore it or rather than skirt the, the issue, rather than say, well, okay, well, that wasn't my fault. It was somebody else's fault. Don't, don't give me that stuff. Don't despise the chastening of the Lord. When there's a child that you got in the house that is so goody two-shoes, and I, I'm saying this, and I, I, I don't want to disparage somebody efforting to do good. 
But when, there's, when they've got the aura of they're so good and they're so perfect, and then that means they don't ever sin. Ain't nobody like that. Excuse me. You sin, you wear it. You, you, you go ahead and, and put that vest on. You go ahead and, and own it. Everybody has to own it. Sometimes there's a child that is so wanting to, to play the role that they play in front of their parents or, or their school or whatever, and, and so they, they never, never, never admit that they're, that they're wrong or that they're a sinner. No, no, we're all, hey, we're all sinners. Don't despise the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. It goes on in verse 6, For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth everybody. Nobody gets out of this. Nobody gets around the, the, the woodshed. If ye endure chastening, good. God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? I'll tell you, who the father doesn't chase, those chasten are those that are not his sons. We were talking about that in Sunday school today, about people that are not following the commands of God when it comes to the ordinances of the church and, and the Lord says, and for some of you guys doing this wrong, that's why many are weak and sickly among you and some sleep. He says, you have health issues and there's some dead. God has brought them home prematurely because you're, you're partaking of this, my ordinance, flippantly. You're not, you're not discerning the Lord's body or, or the, the purity of this. And, and he says, that's why you're in trouble because, and God was chastening them. If that be true, well, then why doesn't God chase in all these other churches that do it with hamburgers and Cokes and, and got, they, never follow the, they never follow the instruction. They don't follow what God said about stuff. Uh, you know, uh, there, there's no, they, they just ignore it all. Why, 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 do those, why do those groups not get blasted then? Well, that's because, i give the illustration. When our kids were growing up, they could not say no to mom and dad. They could not. I mean, uh, do you want, uh, you know, some, you know, oatmeal right now? They could say no. But I'm talking about a defiant no. Hey, you have to do this. You have to go to bed. No. You have to, hey, you know, you know, what, you know what would happen in my house if a child did that? They'd be dead. It's capital punishment. We set up the guillotine. I, I had like four or five other kids that never made it to the adulthood, and I'm, I don't talk about them because we killed them, you know? No, that wouldn't happen. I'm serious. That would not happen. There's no way. They cannot. They cannot do that in my house. They, they could not because we demanded respect towards authority and obedience and that kind of stuff, and so that's the way it was. But that was in my house. Every once in a while, the kid would be playing with somebody down the block or whatever, and they, you know, kids come in, and maybe their parents would come in and say, uh, "Hey, uh, Johnny, it's time to, to go home." No, I'm not home. You know, and when when something like that would happen in front of my kids, my kids would all look at me. <gasps> They're gonna kill him. <laughs> but you know what? He never got killed. Those, those those kids never got killed. You know why? Their parents didn't. They, they followed a different rule. They were going to do whatever they were going to do. They were not going to follow whatever it was, biblical principles of discipline. And so, you know, hey, and you know what? Fine. I'm not killing those kids. You know what I mean? They could do whatever they want to do. 
And folks, that's the, the, the same thing that's true with obeying the scripture in any biblical manner in God's church. And God says, no, no, this is my church. I am, the, I am the shepherd of my church, and they are going to follow, they're going to obey, and if they don't, then they are disciplined severely. Not everybody else, not all these other groups. Those are not New Testament churches, folks. But New Testament churches are bound to follow the instructor, the, the captain, the savior, the shepherd. And so, anyway, where am I going with that thing? How did that happen? Oh, yeah. I, you know, and that's the, the question that he gives at the end there. It says, uh, for what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? God won't chasten those he doesn't love and doesn't care for and doesn't want to allow to, uh, you know, get them out of their mess that they're in so that's their good. It's do their good. But God's not going to, but for his children, God chastens every son whom he receives. Every one of them is chastened. So folks, don't despise the chastening. The point here is chastening is okay. It's acceptable. Don't hate chastening. You'll have a hard life with that kind of an attitude. Embrace it and understand that it's all part of growing and maturing. Thank God for chastening. Now, I have a hard time thanking God for chastening when I'm in the midst of chastening. I never... <laughs> I never... I had the attitude when my dad would get off the, the rails and, and we, he chasing us. He's kind of like a, a volcano, just build up, build up, build up, build up. And you can do anything. You know, you can, you know, step on him or whatever until Mount Vesuvius. <laughs> then you got to run and hide, you know, because then it, and then it was severe, you know. When these times when my dad was chastening and, you know, it was, and I know I was going to get it, I never said, oh, great, chastening, chastening, go ahead. <laughs> Are you nuts? But you want to know something? Hey, listen, listen. Today, I am grateful for a dad that loved us enough and cared for us enough to chasten us and, and, and beat some of the silliness out of me back then. <laughs> so anyway, chastening is acceptable. Everybody gets chastened. No shame in that. You know what? The early church, I believe, was chastened here. Number two. What do we learn from their success? Well, because they, they understood that chastening was acceptable. Number two, chastening should change us. That's what it should do. Now, just because we're chastened doesn't mean that we grow or mature or learn by it. On the contrary, hey, listen, believer, this is where we live. If we submit, if we yield to the chastening of the Lord, if we submit to it, if we accept it, if we embrace it as part of our discipline process, then it could be the greatest boon to our growth. But if we don't yield to it, uh, look out. It will not yield that peaceable fruit of righteousness, as in the text in Hebrews. It's not going to do that. You know what? You get chastened, you bow up, you hurt worse. And it, sometimes it's irreparable damage. No. That saint, that church, that believer will break under that kind of discipline. Now, listen, this is what I, as a pastor, I, I'm concerned about the congregation, about the flock. Every once in a while, I'll see somebody that should be getting right, and they're not. <laughs> I fear, I fear for them, because God doesn't put up with that. 
No, no, you don't go on and on and on and on and on and on and on with, with your foolishness, with your hypocrisy, with, with your sin, and you're not dealing with it, you're not getting it right, and you think everything's fine. No, no, it's not fine. <coughs> That's scary. That's scary. Because then it gets, then it gets serious. They'll break under the, that kind of discipline. See, chastening should change us. Did it change that early church? I really think it did. As I said, they rerouted their efforts in an enthusiastic and a joyful service. God shook them up, but you know what? It says they, they were joyful. No dragging of the feet, no kicking and screaming, no droopy fellowship. No, no, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 6 in our text. They became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost. Wow. And they were examples and everything else. Hey, they had joy serving God. If you will not yield to his personal disciplinary work on you, then you will be destined to have a stunted growth. Yeah, that's a really good statement. Let me say that again. If you don't yield to his personal disciplinary work on you, which you get it and I get it, then you'll be destined to have a stunted growth. Okay, uh, um, Chastening is acceptable. Chastening should change. And number three, what do we learn from, from their success? His plan is always best. It's always best. I mean, we know that in our lives, but if you look at the, the example here, where they were adding and they were growing, man, they were doing wonderful. You, what do you have to say against that? Well, not anything really, but you know what? God had a better plan. He actually did. You know, they were adding, adding, adding. God, want, God wanted to scatter them and multiply and, and just explode, go into hyperspace to reach the world. Even in, in the light of that early church's grand success, God's will was much grander than even that. But isn't it always? <laughs> That's the truth. Isn't God's plan always the best? His plan is best in my life, for my family, in my service to him, even in my sacrifice. Just pay attention to his direction for you. So, in conclusion, this early church displayed what it takes for divine success. And it all had to do with their attitude towards discipline. They passed the test with flying colors. And so can you, and so can I. Lord, thank you so much for this, your word. I pray that you'd help us to learn from the success of your early church and what it did and what it went through and and how they served you, and how the, the, uh, the, the uh, discipline, the trouble that you allowed them to go through was for the, the betterment of, of the ministry and the success and for reaching those that you love. Lord, I just pray that you help us to learn. Lord, help us to learn that chastening is acceptable. It's okay. But it should change us. It should move us. It should... Uh, have us to yield in humility, but then also your plan is always best. Always. Lord, thank you for that. Thank you for that. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us to, to learn. Help us to, to be successful. Help us to, to be prosperous. Help us to grow. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to, to always embrace your plan. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.